Welcome to another edition of Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information, insight, and experiences for people who are planning for, about to, or already have retired. I'm John McComb, recently retired after a 50-year broadcast career, the past 36 years at CKNW Radio in Vancouver. I'm sitting down with my co-host, Lori Pinkowski every other Friday to help answer the many questions that come up as you prepare to relax and devote some time to you and your new life. Lori is the founder of Pinkowski Wealth Management and is a Senior Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity. I look forward every two weeks to sitting down and chatting with Lori Pinkowski on Ready, Set, Retire. Lori, how are you doing? I'm doing well, John. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. I'm on a diet. I'm losing a little bit of weight. That's good. As long as you're in a good mood and losing weight at the same time. Sometimes diets can uh, can get people a little cranky. <laughs> so how are you feeling, John? I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Sitting around for the last roughly a year, waiting out COVID, put a few too many pounds on the old uh, waistline. So I've decided to do something about it. So I'm good. Good for I'm you. I'm good. I'm proud of you. Thank you. But what about the markets? Because they were going up and up and up. They cracked 30,000, did the Dow. And more recently, they've been not really going up, not really going down. Yeah, just flat over the last week. But that's to be expected, John. I mean, we ended November as the strongest November since 1987. So it was definitely a real turnaround. And you did see markets break through to a new high. So that was definitely positive. And I think that we're going to see that trend continue into December. We're looking at seasonality and historically what's happening. December is actually positive 70% of the time. Not that we can always rely on something like that, but more times than not have we seen December bring positive returns. So we're excited about that as well. And of course, the three potential vaccines. That's why we've seen markets uh, move higher based on, you know, even an early rollout of the vaccines. I mean, Canada will trail the U.S. and the U.K. in terms of timing on receiving vaccines. But, I mean, they're actually going to be coming out earlier than expected, of course, for healthcare workers first and then those who are more vulnerable and so on. But again, as we've been talking about, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and that is what the market has been looking for. And what we saw kind of over the past month, though, was a real rotation of sectors. And so people got excited for some of these sectors that have been beaten up over the past six, seven, eight months. And uh, that's where you saw money flow into. But I would say in the last week or two, we've seen a little bit of a change. People realize that buying airlines and cruise lines might be a little early and sticking with those companies that are earning more money during the pandemic than they were before, like the Amazons and so on of the world that there's money actually been flowing back into technology, back into consumer discretionary, and uh, that's where we're allocated as well. And this is obviously a comeback, and it's something that we've been waiting for and looking for heading into uh, 2021. What are you expecting in terms of the strength of this? I'm bullish on the markets for not just the next year, but possibly two, three years. When you have as much stimulus as what we've seen been thrown at the economy, and likely will continue to be thrown at the economy, that is positive. And secondly, low interest rates. That's a huge win as well for the economy when you think of borrowing money, whether it's for mortgages or car loans or whatever it may be. you got low interest rates for a long period of time. That's also good for the stock market. And so overall, it can be a little bumpy. I don't expect this to be clear sailing, 
we have this second surge of COVID and obviously it's um, not getting any better. And so you have these partial lockdowns, which will have an effect on the economy. And so we may start seeing some of those numbers in January and February because usually they're trailing, right? And with that being said, if they're worse than expected, markets won't like that. But again, markets understand now that this is shorter term. And so when you get the economic softness, it may then produce pent up demand. And then you see a surge in the economy again. So again, it's like a teeter-totter here right now. And uh, overall, though, if vaccines get rolled out and things get back to normal in a year, year and a half, that's going to be very positive again for markets to push even higher than where they are today. Let's uh, update the situation with Canada's banks because they've uh, started to report earnings this week. How have they been affected by the, the pandemic and how are they doing now? I haven't loved the financials this year. I just thought and think that there's a lot more risk in financials than some of the other sectors. And that was right. I mean, technology has totally outperformed financials. And so when you look at kind of the difference in numbers, I'm happy to have been allocated towards the technology and consumer discretionary as of late industrials, materials, gold, all that kind of stuff. But we can't deny the fact that banks have bounced quite a bit as soon as the vaccine news came out. So in the last month, some of them are getting close to where they were pre-pandemic. So we don't want to ignore that. We want to look for an entry point into banks. But just remember, what's working against the financials still is we're in an economic recovery and low interest rates. Remember, banks tend to do well when things are roaring and ripping ahead and you've got interest rates going higher. So we're not in that arena at this point. But uh, again, when we look at Bank of Montreal's earnings, they only decreased by 2% from the same quarter last year, well, people get excited about that. To me, again, I rather see a company that has earnings growth of 10, 20% or more during the pandemic. And to me, there's better value in a name like that. But we don't want to ignore the fact that financials are a big part of portfolios. For ours, they have not been this year. And we will look to add on weakness in 2021. And so what parts of the banking sector are leading this comeback? investment banking, when you think of trading and the amount of trading that's happened this year, that is where money is being made at this point. And so when you think of U.S. companies like BlackRock and stuff like that, I mean, they're making money hand over fist right now, just in terms of how wild the stock market has been, I think. So there's increased revenue from that point. And so if we're looking at any of the financials, remember, you could be more insurance focused in financials, you can be more into the investment side of the financials instead of being into like the lender side of the financials, which I still believe is going to have a hard time just with regards to commercial real estate, like office space and so on. Like when are people going to be going back to their office and are people going to be expanding using office space in the future? I I mean, that may be gone forever. Who knows? A lot of companies can cut costs by keeping their employees at home if they think that they're getting the same amount of work from them when they are working at home. So that that's, I guess, the question that one has to figure out. But I do worry about commercial office space going forward. Let's talk about Canada's economic situation and a massive fiscal stimulus program that uh, the Trudeau government has put forward just in the, the last few days to make sure that there are no scars left over from the COVID uh, epidemic and what it's done to the economy. Yeah, you know, the finance minister wants the economy to be roaring out of the situation. And I think that's why they're, again, promising so much stimulus and money going forward, because again, we're we're far from out of this thing. And so they want to prop up the economy with that. 
Although what that means is that, you know, and the concern is the rising deficit that's estimated to grow over 400 billion next year, which will be the highest relative to the economy since World War II. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And remember those deficits, they got to be paid off some way, somehow. And who's going to be holding the bag? Well, that's all of us, you know. So again, something just to think about. Um, and what our worry is again is taxes and how will they be increased? Are they going to make changes? Overall, and you know, we've been hearing things such as they're not going to allow pension income to be split, for example. That's an idea. Tax on your principal residence, that could be another possibility. A wealth tax, which affects less people, that could be a possibility. So, you know, and just general increase in taxes overall. And so we'll have to see what happens in 2021 here, but I think we're going to see increased taxes over the next one, two, three, five years. So what can people do to protect themselves uh, because the Canadian dollar will be taking some hits, I would think? We continue to hold uh, a lot more in U.S. currency just because their economy is stronger and so on. So what you could see going forward is the Canadian dollar could have some difficulty keeping this upward trend with all the stimulus that's going to be pumped out. So. Recently, we even had clients ask about how can they hedge possibly if they believe the Canadian dollar is going to go down and go down by a lot. And we had a client even ask about Bitcoin. Is that a safe place to put your money instead of Canadian dollars? And we said, no, definitely not. But that's the worry from some people on the Canadian economy and all the money that has been just thrown out there. And yes, to a certain point, we, we need it. But there has to be accountability, and this is what you and I have talked about, for all the funds that are going out the door that we're all going to be paying for. And I don't think there's been enough accountability this entire time. I just hope that Trudeau and his government uh, figure that out for 2021. Although I think Bitcoin hit $20,000 just the other day, a new record high. But when you look at the charts of some of those uh, cryptocurrencies over the last five or six years or so, it's you talk about a roller coaster. Oh, my gosh. It is too much of a roller coaster for us, but, and then the transparency and possible illiquidity and stuff like that, that just, it's not something we do, but I'm sure there's other people that have uh, more advice given uh, that they're invested in things like Bitcoin. But for us, I mean, even if we think the Canadian dollar is going to go lower, we would just invest more in U.S. currency at this time and, and really picking away at it because the Canadian dollar has been an uptrend for a few months now. So for us, it's not a bad idea to even be increasing some of our U.S. exposure at this time because the U.S. dollars come down so much over the last three, four months. All right, let's move on to our main topic of discussion for this week, and uh, it has to do with mutual fund portfolios. Now, you and I have talked about mutual funds for years and years, and there have been some improvements like fee transparency that I know you very much fought for over the years, but you still see some issues. So tell us more about some of the pitfalls of investing in these mutual funds. Over the last few months, we've talked to several prospects that have called in. Of course, they send us their portfolios and we take a look. And I'm still surprised to see as many portfolios as I've seen recently where people are invested in like 100% mutual funds or segregated funds or have a bunch of hedge funds in there and we can get into the three different kind of classes. But but I think that it's important to understand what mutual funds represent, what are the downfalls of owning them, and what you can do about it. Because I want to stress that not all mutual funds are bad. And sometimes that's the only way to get exposure to a certain manager that you want to have exposure to. Otherwise, there might be better ways to invest. And um, the problem I see with a lot of mutual fund portfolios 
is the kind of idea of set it and forget it type strategy. So what do you mean by set it and forget it? Well, many financial advisors that recommend only mutual funds, remember, it's it's because that's all they can recommend. A lot of them aren't licensed to advise you on actually individual stocks or bonds and things like that. So that's why some people end up with a portfolio full of mutual funds. They pick a basket of mutual funds and then they don't make any changes, even if it's necessary. For example, we just saw a portfolio that had an energy fund that was done 8% annually over the past five years and the fee was 2.8%. Wow. So, yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, you know, at some point that should have been sold along the way as the fee is way too high, it's underperformed, it's in a sector that probably isn't going anywhere quickly. And I think what the advisor does, they basically kind of sell the client on the fact that the fund manager is going to make changes when needed. Well, that may be the way it goes in some mutual funds, but you think of a sector fund like this, an energy fund. Well, even if that fund manager sees a freight train coming for them, they know and they see oil crashing, there's nothing they can do about it because their mandate is to invest in energy stocks. So therefore, you're the one left holding the bag or your financial advisor needs to get you out of that sector fund before it's too late. And I think that's where the problem is because a lot of the mutual fund financial advisors that only recommend mutual funds end up just sitting in these funds and not really looking at them like that. And unfortunately, then you have a lot of underperformance over a longer period of time because no changes are being made. Furthermore, many mutual funds in the industry have a mandate where they can only hold 10% cash. And that is an issue because, again, if you think the markets are going to come down, if there's a big issue out there and they are only possibly going to raise 10% cash, and you are paying two, two and a half percent to the fund manager thinking they're going to get you out, get you back in and all this stuff. And really they can't. Then what are you paying all this money for? And then the financial advisor, again, the set it and forget it strategy for many mutual fund advisors doesn't work unless you're okay with uh, massive amounts of volatility in your portfolio, which most people, including retirees, are not. Well, that's great advice, and especially on those uh, sector funds, because all good things come to an end at some point, and when it comes to an end, you don't want to be sitting there holding the bag, and so you have to have somebody who can get you out and be nimble, uh, which is what you do. When's the last time, just out of curiosity, when's the last time you were heavily into energy? Uh, 2014. Really? <laughs> so. Yeah, a long time ago. So when, when, when energy peaked back there, our stop losses helped us get out of energy stocks in the first three weeks of when it started to come down. And, and realistically, there hasn't really been a good entry point to get back in, right? So there's other sectors that have performed much better. So, so there are times where we will stay out of a sector for many, many years. Gold being another one. I mean, we sold in 2011. And we really didn't start adding back to gold, I think, until last year. So realistically, uh, there are times to own certain sectors and there's times to uh, step aside and maybe not for months, but for years. So we're always looking at that. Again, that's what an active management strategy is. And uh, being flexible, being nimble is so important uh, when choosing a money manager. What are some of the other things that investors should watch out for when thinking about or investing in mutual funds? High fees, John, right? I I mean, you and I have been talking about this, I think, since 2009. 
And it doesn't seem to get across to a lot of investors sometimes. It's just the fees are high in, in certain mutual funds and they can be high upwards of two and a half percent or more. Again, I don't want to say always that's the fee that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, if it has a higher fee, then you shouldn't invest in it because there are some guys that have performance fees and they can outperform and do really well. And so they get paid higher. And so, you know, when I think of um, a fund out there, Dynamic Power, we have some exposure to their fees are slightly higher than the average fund. And the only way to invest with him is through a fund version. But he is up 50% year to date right now and has averaged 25% annually over the past 10 years. So, you know, if this guy wants to take a little more, then I don't mind. But you ha- what you have to watch out for is really high fees and underperformance or performance that's exactly the same as the market. That is where the problem occurs. And tell me about closet indexers. It sounds mildly rude. <laughs> yeah, no closet indexer. So what they're doing is they're basically investing in a basket of stocks that's in their relative index. So say they're kind of copying the S&P 500, they're copying the TSX top 30. And so they're never going to deviate too far away from the actual index. So you may go, okay, well, I'll go up and down with the index. It's not that bad. But the issue you have is that you're still paying these guys two, two and a half percent to do that. Where If you really were comfortable with that kind of volatility, you could just buy an exchange-traded fund or an ETF, right? Which we also use. Fees on ETFs range from like 0.15 to maybe 0.5 or something, right? And it's a passive investment, meaning that it's not going to be actively managed. It's just a basket of stocks. It'll go up and down with that relative index. So closet indexing, again, is an issue. Because you're paying for active management, but you're not getting it. And so why bother paying that fee at all? And what about the transparency issues around mutual funds? A lack of transparency is a big one because you don't know essentially day to day what you're invested in. And you can't really find out. I mean, they'll send out the top 10 holdings and that might be enough for people. But again, I think it's important to to see what you're in, especially if you own a lot of different mutual funds. You know, are you too concentrated in any one sector? or in anyone's stock. And I bring up this Nortel situation frequently with uh, mutual fund holders because, you know, you think back to 2000 when the tech bubble burst, a lot of people owned Nortel stock on their own because it was so hot and it could do no wrong. And then they also didn't realize that because Nortel had gone up so much, you actually own 10% Nortel in your mutual fund as well because a lot of them weren't capping how much of an individual stock they owned. So you had way more Nortel than, than you knew. And then when the bubble burst and Nortel went to zero, a lot of people realized how much exposure they had. So I believe in, in transparency. I think it's key to investing. Also, you're able to see, you know, the dividends that are coming into your account, all that kind of stuff, what's being bought, what's being sold if you're investing in individual securities or stocks. And then, of course, the other part is possible illiquidity concerns in hedge funds. We've seen this recently as well. When people invest in a hedge fund, again, you should be sophisticated. You should understand what you're investing in. And you hope to God that your financial advisor understands what your hedge fund is investing in. I can't say it enough. I think some people just look at the numbers, go, okay, that's fine. No problem. But the fact of the matter is a lot of hedge funds use leverage, increasing the amount they have to invest, which is great when things are going up. But when things are going down, John, that magnifies that loss. Or they're investing in private real estate kind of transactions, things like that. They're not transparent. 
one we just found out, if you want to sell, you have to put in your order to sell it quarterly. You can't even get out tomorrow or next month if you want to. Many hedge funds are monthly, but to have a quarterly sales schedule that you can't get out, to me, that's a problem, right? And if things don't go well for them, you might not get out at all. We just talked to another person. So again, these are wow. never, yeah, these are never things that we would recommend. It's dangerous. Again, we always say keep it simple, right? Stocks, bonds, cash, real estate out there. When you start seeing products or investments with benefits or that are too good to be true or that sort of thing, you need to ask more questions or just step aside. You know, you, you'll make decent money, stable returns, consistent returns by just uh, sticking with individual securities. What do you think about segregated funds and uh, what's the difference between a segregated fund and a mutual fund? Yeah, segregated funds are insurance products or insurance mutual funds, and they have a guarantee attached to them. So this is why they have a lot higher fees. I mean, you've got segregated funds that have 3% plus fees. 3.5% is not unusual to see. And why are you paying this high fee in a segregated fund? Well, the reason is, is because you're paying for this guarantee. So each segregated fund or at the fund company can work differently. But basically the idea is, is you put money in today in seven or 10 years, you're going to get the same amount back. And there's still some ways that can't happen. But the general feeling is, is that you're going to get your money back. With that comes an issue in that the stock market realistically has not really had, if you're in a balanced portfolio of normal stocks and bonds, there's not really a period of seven or 10 years that you haven't made money in the stock market. So paying that huge fee for that guarantee is probably unneeded. But there's some people who just feel better having that. Also, it avoids creditors if you're worried about that. And that's why people get into segregated funds. But again, I've never been an advocate of segregated funds. Again, I'm not insurance licensed, but you know, I use financial planners who are insurance licensed and I would never go down that route. Again, it's just way too costly. And like I said, fees aren't everything, but when you start getting fees of three, 4% really starts cutting into your return, John. And that just leads to a portfolio that's underperforming over the years. And so I don't believe that guarantee is needed. So how should investors expect their portfolio to be structured if funds are not the answer? I'm not able to speak for every advisor out there and their strategy, but I've been doing this for 20 years now. And and I really feel that there's better ways to invest for people, especially if you have over 500,000 or a million or wherever it may land. I just think that mutual funds were really designed for smaller investors or people don't have um, a lot to diversify with. And then again, as I said, I mean, we use funds for bond exposure, right? That's one reason why we use them because individual bonds here in Canada, I mean, the inventory is so low. And interest rates are so low. So we use bond fund managers to be able to go out globally to invest in bonds. And I mean, on average, they've, you know, returned four to six percent after fees. And those are guys we want to use. And it's because almost like we have to use because of the Canadian uh, bond inventory is just so low and rates are so low. What we're doing for people is investing in individual stocks and making the day-to-day decisions on those securities in the portfolio. So we believe in simplicity, transparency, liquidity. We're never investing in something that people can't get out of. Again, that's a real issue out there for some of these kind of less transparent type investment products. What we want to make sure that we see in any portfolio, the ones that we're managing is obvious, but being an active portfolio manager, getting out of sectors, getting into sectors that are working, avoiding those that are not. And our clients are able to see what we're in on a daily basis. You know, every night it updates at 5 p.m. if they're 
that interested to see what we bought and sold and so on. So it's much easier for us to report performance, let them know what we're doing. And again, they can see what types of stocks that were in for them. And they just feel more comfortable. They can sleep at night knowing that we're in charge. And in terms of the mutual fund issue out there is that lack of transparency. You don't really know what you're in, the high fees that are involved. And just remember, with the way that um, we're investing in portfolios or that I suggest people look for a portfolio manager who does the same, is that you can expense that fee for tax purposes in a, what we call a separately managed account. So not a mutual fund, but an account where you actually see your individual stocks and it's managed by a professional portfolio manager, you're able to expense that fee. Well, the fee is already way lower than a mutual fund on average, and then you can even deduct more off of that for tax purposes. So it ends up being a much better deal, more transparent. And then again, you want to look for a portfolio manager that's active and actively navigating these markets. Because this year, John, has not been an easy year in markets, even though they've proven to be positive now. But to get people through this, emotionally get through this as well, because I I really haven't seen a year where people have been so emotional about not just the stock market, but of course their health and everything that went with it, the anxieties that people have felt and faced, they were real. And I can't wait to see us come out of this yes. and that all of our clients, especially those that are older in age, that they start feeling comfortable being you know, in the community again and things like that. So it's been one of those years. Uh, happy to get all our clients out positive. That is a great feeling that people are going to be profitable in a year like this. But there was so much more going on this year. And it's a great accomplishment, I have to say. I mean, to go through a year like this and have your clients be to the upside is frankly amazing. So congratulations on what you do and how you do it. Thank you very much. And I mean, it's we have a passion for what we do, but we also have such a focus on risk management. And that's what helped all of our clients this year in the portfolios. And even though March was difficult, uh, not nearly as difficult as the market was. So we're happy that we're able to get through this year the way that we did. And clients are happy and we're going into 2021. And this thing should just, again, become more and more in the rear view mirror in terms of COVID as we progress over the next 12 to 18 months. So that is exciting, John. Yes, it is. Sure hope that that happens. Now, before we uh, wrap up, we uh, like to do so with a quote. What do you have for us this week? It's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep, how hard it works for you, and how many generations you keep it for. I love that. <laughs> Have a great week. We'll catch up with you uh, in a fortnight. It sounds good, John. I look forward to talking to you always. Thanks, Lori. If you want more information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management. 604-695-LORI. 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Retire.